All right, welcome to the third episode of the Queen City Control Room podcast. On today's episode, we are covering our NBA picks from last week and making new picks for the upcoming week. We look across the NBA action going on, including the high-scoring games, points leaders, the first NBA MVP ladder, and surprises in the standings. We look at the Hornets and how they've progressed through their first five games. We then move into college basketball. We look at the Wooden Award and the preseason selections. We look at the big games upcoming in the season. And finally, we look at college football, the matchups this week, including a huge game for this podcast between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Penn State Nittany Lions. So let's get to the episode. All right, let's get right into it. We can start with our games for picks from last week. I know, Josh, we each made our favorite and underdog picks. What'd you have? Last week, I had the Suns minus three versus the Blazers. That was a tough start for me. I think the Suns (laughs) ended up winning by, or wait, they lose by two, one by two. Either way, it doesn't matter because they did not cover. I think I picked the wrong Suns game since they blew out the Warriors the game after that. But what are you going to do? Yeah, that'll happen to you. Yeah, who'd you have for that one? Uh, My favorite, I made the unfortunate pick. Well, it was a good pick. I made the pick. I picked against the Hornets, though. I had Pelicans Pelicans minus five and a half against the Hornets. Um, They ended up covering. They won 124 to 112. So I got the dub on the pick. And just a couple notes about the game. As much as obviously you like the Hornets. You want them to always win. I did pick the Pelicans because you're coming in with, they're coming in with Zion, CJ, Jonas Valanciunas, and all of them, you know, Brandon Ingram. Mm-hmm. And so on, on paper, the Pelicans really should have blown out the Hornets in that game. And even though it was a 12 point spread at the end of the game, that really wasn't indicative of the way the Hornets played throughout the game. I think at one point they did have the, the, uh, they cut the lead down to one point, and for most of the game, it was a single-digit lead for the Pelicans, if not a lead for the Hornets. So the Hornets kept it really interesting, and they were missing Cody Martin and Lamelo. They still had Terry in this game, and they held Zion to 16-5-3, which was really, really good. But unfortunately mm-hmm. for them, Brandon Ingram put up 28-9-7, CJ put up 21-6-2, and, and Jonas Valanciunas was an absolute monster and put up 30-17, and 17, which is... You know, anytime you're going up against someone who's putting up 30 points and 17 boards, you're going to have a tough time in that game. So the the Pelicans were just a little bit too much to overcome in that game for the Hornets. But at the end of the day, the Pelicans covered. Um, Gordon Hayward for the Hornets put up 26, 2, and 7, and Terry put up 23, 8, and 11. So he almost got that triple double. And I think it was one of those like really feel good wins or uh, sorry, feel good losses for the Hornets. Like, I don't know if there's a moral victory. In the NBA, I guess some would say there probably isn't, but I think the Hornets left this game feeling good about themselves and the way they played against the team they probably should have gotten blown out by. So I'm I'm happy all the way around. I won the pick and the Hornets played really well. So can't really ask for much more than that. Yeah, I think any game you keep close when you're the Hornets and you're missing your best player is pretty much a moral victory at this point, if you say that. <laughs> and they're pretty much playing with house money if they get any wins before LaMelo comes back anyway. 
Yeah, that's for sure. You sold your soul and picked against the Hornets. I sold my soul. I still got the dub, so I'll take it. That's tough. All right. <laughs> Whatever. And then on the other side here, I had the Jazz plus eight versus the Timberwolves. The Jazz have just been on fire. Can't be stopped. And oh, I don't remember what the score was in that game, but they covered. Main point is they covered. Jazz won by six, 132 to 126. Boom. So good pick for you. You got your revenge on the Timberwolves who have started out really, really subpar. So sorry to Timberwolves fans. Yeah. Sorry to all our Timberwolves fans out there, but your team sucks. <laughs> your team. Even though, you're, even though you have the players, you just haven't got it together yet. Even though you shelled out for Rudy Gobert this year um, in a system that he really shouldn't be playing in arguably. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had the Raptors plus four at the Nets. I took the Raptors as the underdog because the Nets were playing like shit at the beginning of the season. They still are, but, uh, this is one game. This was the Nets first win of the season. They ended up winning one Oh nine to one Oh five. So it was a four point spread at the end of the game. So it was a push. So I didn't technically lose still starting three and Oh, I'll take it. I don't really have much to say about this game. I don't think anybody really cares about it, but I will say, Pascal Siakam for the Raptors put up 37, 12, and 11. And that was the first NBA triple-double of the season. Jokic put up a triple-double the same night. I think he's got two. Siakam's got one, and Luka has his from last night. We're recording this on Friday, October 28th. So our picks are going to be for – our next week's picks are going to be for October 29th. And in terms of last night, I'm obviously talking about, you know, October 27th when the Mavs beat the Nets in overtime – um, yeah, I don't really have much to say about this game other than it didn't hurt me in the loss column in terms of our picks. KD put up 27, Kyrie put up 30, Ben Simmons is still trash. I moved to three and oh, I'll take it. <laughs> you always get your shots in at Ben Simmons, no matter what. Got to, someone's got to. I think everybody is right now. <laughs> I, think, I think everybody is. That's fair. Okay, um, so those are our picks. We covered our favorites and underdogs. I guess we can make our new picks for next week now. I'll start with my favorite. Um, this is a favorite for tomorrow, Saturday, October 29th. Obviously, the game will have already happened by the time the episode is released. I'm going to go with the Mavs minus 10.5 versus the Thunder. As I mentioned, the Mavs are coming off a really good overtime dub versus Brooklyn, and they're going to look to keep it rolling and trounce a team that by all means they really should. I think on paper, the lineups kind of match up, but the the Nets are one and four to start the season. They're not playing tonight, so they're going to be one and four going into the game. And Luca's coming off a triple-double. Both teams are coming off a day of rest. I think the Mavs rested are going to probably blow out the Nets. It might be a little close at points during the game, but I don't see I don't see Luca bowing to the nets at all so i'm gonna take uh dallas minus 10 and a half i was just looking at it the thunder have won two games in a row now they only lost to the timberwolves by 10 the nuggets by five they're playing pretty good actually for not having chat in there surprisingly yeah, they are i mean i almost didn't take it for that reason but i think at some point for these teams that aren't on paper all that good like we saw with the Hornets tonight, the luck's going to run out at some point. 
and um, I think that's going to happen against the maps tomorrow. So I'll take it. What was the line there? Ten and a half. Ten and a half. Yeah. All right, you're going to do that, and I think I have to just go with it for my underdog and take the Thunder plus ten and a half <laughs> versus the Mavs. Okay. You convinced me. First time this season that we're going to go head-to-head on one of our picks, so good luck to you, sir. Good luck. I mean, see what happens. <laughs> it's good. I, it, it, could, it could turn out to be a really good game. Um, if it does come down to it, one thing that, you know, might sway the the point totals at the end, I think, is that um, Dallas has a much better bench than OKC does. So even mm-hmm. if the start, even if the starters match up, you know, I think Dallas takes it on bench points as well. That said, as you mentioned, OKC has been playing pretty good. Even in their losses, they're not, I don't think, getting blown out too much. So this is a different OKC team than in the past. It's really a different NBA than in the past. We'll talk about the power rankings, I think, a little bit later this episode. But a lot of teams that we thought were going to tank and just come out and do horribly really aren't doing that. And it's kind of surprising, I think, a lot of other teams in the NBA. Let's go into my underdog. I have the the Atlanta Hawks plus five at the Bucks. I will roll with the Hawks. You know, again, this could be a little bit of a bias on my end. Both teams are coming off of uh, or are going to be playing the second day of a double or a back to back. So both teams are coming in a little bit tired, but the the Hawks just blew out the Pistons tonight by 24, I think. I think it was 136 to 112. So I think they're coming off a little bit of an easier, you know, quote unquote, easier game than the Bucks are. And, you know, especially in a game like that towards the end, I think you pull the starters a little bit and give them a little rest, especially knowing that you are going to play a tough team in the Bucks the next night. The Bucks are playing at home versus the Knicks. They're up 15 now. I think they were only up six at half. So, so maybe the Bucks end up pulling away even further and they do the same thing and it's not that big of a deal. Um, but I'm going to take the Hawks plus five. I feel a little wishy-washy on these picks, but it, 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 it's a little hard in the NBA because the spreads don't come out for like the next week because so much is fluid in the NBA from day to day and so much can change on a daily basis. So you just kind of have to roll with the picks and see how it goes. So like I said, my pick for the underdog will be the Atlanta Hawks plus five at the Bucks, And I'll take John Trey to cover. With that being said, don't tell me, don't tell me you're taking the buck. Don't tell me you're taking the bucks minus five. Um, with that being said, I would like to state that I made this pick before the episode started. I'm going with the bucks minus five. They play the Hawks tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. So two games, two games are going to head to head tomorrow. I mean, you're three Oh and one right now I'm two and two. I got to make up some ground or just completely tank myself tank for one by Emma. (laughs) <laughs> okay i'll take it that's all right it's gonna be an interesting it, pod next week it's gonna be a rematch of the 2021 eastern conference finals when the when the hawks made that run somehow True. taking out the knicks in the first round really living really living rent free and knicks fans had since then yeah rent free but i i honestly think they could be two really good games i could see them going either way I think I'm a little bit more wary, honestly, on the Mavs versus the Thunder because you don't often see double-digit spreads in the NBA, especially with a team that's playing super hit or miss from night to night, as mm-hmm. you know, like like OKC is this season. So 
it'll be fun to keep track of tomorrow night and um you know maybe we split the games maybe you go two and oh maybe i go two and oh and move to five oh and one stay undefeated this season we'll see how it goes it's kind of unfortunate that i couldn't help myself from changing my underdog pick because i had the jazz plus six against memphis and i was really liking it but i honestly thought you were going to take that and i just want to state for the listeners we do not consort on our picks before the episode airs we just start recording and just launch our picks mid mid recording so it's actually really funny that we both picked the same games today yeah i think that jazz plus six will be a just for fun one can't put it in there obviously but that'll be a fun one to keep track of for sure um i think we covered both of our favorites and underdogs from last week and for the upcoming week so why don't we move into some more nba action what do you got in terms of other nba storylines you want to cover anything else catch your eye as week one ended and week two started in the nba the first topic i've been holding back already from bringing it up but we have to give a shout out to clay thompson and not a positive <laughs> shout out <laughs> two thumbs we, down for clay thompson yeah we we don't appreciate the actions going at buck like that uh, we've been clay supporters since day one followed him we supported him back through his injury and he comes out here and tries to fight the suns disrespectful rough the the curious part about that for me is that like i get trash talk happens you know it's an essential part of the game really and especially when you're coming off of a championship you probably don't like people disrespecting you i guess but in the same sense like we're in a new season the championship from last year doesn't really matter at all And honestly, you're coming out and trying to basically fight Booker and then the rest of the Suns team and the coaches and whatnot after going back to the bench a couple times. You're down what? What were they down? 20? Something like that when that happened? I think they were down like 15 or 16 and then he went out and then pretty much just ended it. Booker's got what? I don't know, 20, 25 points at that point in the game. He's Mm -hmm. rolling. He's absolutely steamrolling the Warriors himself. And Clay is, has, I don't know, two points. Two points, one for eight. One for eight, over five from three. Tough. And it's like basically re- re- resorting back to, you know, we have four rings. How many do you have? It's such a cheap trash talk to me. Like I get the point behind it, but it's like the same thing as Yankees fans saying, like, we have 27 rings. And like, we're Yankees fans. <laughs> so, I'm not like taking a shot at our own fan base. Stupid Yankees fans. Stupid Yankees fans. I would never say that because it doesn't matter. Teams change every offseason, especially with, with the dynamics of the NBA as it is now currently constructed. I just don't understand why that's the why that's the comeback. That's the retort. I guess to me, what, what's more important is what's on the scoreboard at that particular point or like later in the season, you know, there's games that don't really matter as much. And I have a hard time believing that any game between the Suns and the Warriors wouldn't matter at any point in the season because both are going to be vying for, um, you know, lead leading spots in the Western Conference, at least in theory, if their rosters stay the same and they all stay healthy and everything. But like to me, it's like scoreboard or like, man, like, fuck you, we're first place in the Western Conference and you're eighth or something like that. Like, your team sucks. Mm -hmm. But 
going back into saying like four championships is such a weak retort for someone I think who clay in clay like prides himself on being a good trash talker and I don't know Mm -hmm. if I would go so far as like Charles Barkley saying you know clay this isn't the same clay it sucks but clay ever since he came back from his injury he's not the same like he's it's not that he's not good anymore he still is an elite basketball player but he's not as dynamic as he was before his injury. And maybe that's just the way it has to go when you suffer that serious of an injury and you're out for like a thousand days, mm-hmm. but he's really not the same. And I think on any other NBA team, he is the starting shooting guard, but he's not like, you know, he's not dropping 30 a game or anything like that. And I think yeah. it's, I think it is kind of foolish the way that he played it off a little bit. It was not an impressive thing and I just want to know what Buck even said to him to make him earn his first ejection ever it must have been some good stuff so we need that to come out ASAP had, had to have been juicy I think you also see the class after the fact um, I think Book was interviewed on the floor post game and said you know you know I love Clay Thompson we've been competitive this is the way it's going to go as people say things but you know we both love the game and we're out here fighting each other day in and day out and, and whatnot so I think it's all love between them, but it just got to be like heat of the moment. But as a podcast, as the Queen City Control Room podcast, we are drawing a hard line in the sand. We are a Devin Booker supporter, and we will not tolerate the disrespect from Clay Thompson. Yeah, we will not tolerate (laughs) that. If Clay wants to come on the pod and talk about it, he's more than welcome. But yes, at Clay Thompson, come on the pod. Let's discuss. You can be our first guest. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's wild how halfway through the third quarter the refs already gave out like eight or nine technicals in that game that is just bizarre yeah I don't have the numbers but I think we texted about this but I think that this has got to be the most technicals given out through this many games at the beginning of a season in NBA history I mean it feels like every single night there's multiple texts given out in games and I just want to pause myself because I have on the TV right now Celtics Cavs and Jason Tatum, your boy, just missed a jumper at the end to um, win the game for the Celtics going to overtime 114 to 114. Not sure if you're Tough. watching that game right now, but. No, I've got on the East Carolina BYU game. There you go. <laughs> Not great um, looks for an NBA podcast, but. <laughs> Sports fan all the way around. Who, who else do you know other than an East Carolina or a BYU student that's watching that football game on a Friday night? That's dedication. We have East Carolina plus three and a half. So we're out here. What's it? What do you have for a score right now? 24, 17 BYU. Okay. But East Carolina is driving. Yeah. I like, I like East Carolina. We'll see what happens there. Anyways, Celtics Cavs headed to overtime right now. Um, let's see what else you got. Is it impressive to you if a person's putting up 40, 50 points, you know, scoring a lot of buckets, but their team loses, not that they lose because you can, you know, lose a tough game or a close game and it is what it is. But what about a team that loses by, let's say 25, but they have a guy put up 45 points. Yeah. I don't think it's as impressive. I think it hurts the value of it a lot. A lot of the time it's going to end up being garbage time and guys aren't playing their best game right 
a lot of guys like SGA and Buck and everybody who played on crappy teams but still averaged 25 just got called out all the time for just putting up empty stats. So I think we got to pass it along to everybody else now. There's the the famous picture of Devin Booker holding up a piece of paper with 50 written on it, right? And I think it's a game. The Suns got blown out by like 30. I don't know what it was, four years ago maybe. I think that sparks the debate. Um, in terms of 70. So was it 70? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Put up 70, which is, imp- which is an impressive stat regardless. But still, if you're putting up 70 but your team's getting blown out, I think it takes some of it, some of the um, – you know, impressive nature of it away. And I think that's actually reflected in MVP voting um, mm-hmm. because it's not just like, can you, can you drop buckets? It's like, what are you doing to help your team win games? And if you're just a scoring machine, but your team's still losing a lot, you know, how valuable are you really? And I want to mention um, because both teams have just put up seven points each in overtime in the game that I'm watching. Donovan Mitchell currently has 41 for the Cavs. Karis LeVert has 30 and Jason Tatum has 32 and Jalen Brown has 30. So there's some high scoring basketball in this game as well. Yeah, it's crazy. So many people are averaging huge numbers right now. And Jalen Brown has posterized Donovan Mitchell. So fun stuff. I think I think this is a potential Eastern Conference Finals matchup. The Cavs and the Celtics. I think it could be. I mean, think about who else you got at the top, right? Sixers not playing that impressive. I know it's a long season. The Celtics started out really bad last year and obviously made it to the finals. So things are going to turn around and it's not going to stay this way. But like Sixers not having a great start to the season. Miami <laughs> Heat have had their issues. Um, you know, we're talking about the Cavs talking about the Celtics, but like Raptors, not as good as either of these two teams. I think again, on paper, not as good, I guess. See what mm-hmm. happens as the season goes along, but I'm just saying potential, potential Eastern conference finals matchup. Um, right now there's nine guys averaging over 30 points a game, even though it's four or five games into the season for these guys. That's still a lot. Yeah. To average sure. over 30 for five games in a row is still crazy. Um, and I would say not equally as impressive because obviously it's not the same stat, but something that's impressive in terms of scoring, if we're talking about that, let's mention a rookie here. Paulo Banquero is averaging 24 a game after he just put up 21 against the Hornets. And we'll talk about that game in a little bit. Disappointing for Charlotte, but mm-hmm. I think it, after the Magic's last game, it came out that through their first five games, Paulo was averaging more in his first five games as a rookie than MJ did, which is really like a meaningless stat, right? It's five games of a rookie career for the Magic, who were 0-5 at the time, but the stat was released, but pretty impressive for him. to. I think he, at the time he was averaging 25, 25.5, maybe 25.6 a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. So impressive for him a hot start just worth mentioning in the terms of this conversation about who's scoring a lot across the league yeah i got a stat for you on that most points scored by a player in their first four career games since 2000 the first one is kevin durant and then the next two are paulo and benedict Matherin. and then after that it's trey young and kendrick nunn but two in the top three that's crazy 
Kendrick Nunn. That's a name I wouldn't have expected to see in that, in that group of five players or whatever. Yeah, not so much. Um, no, that's impressive though. I think I think we're seeing a really good rookie class in this NBA. I think what typically happens is you see you know a lot of hype from the draft into the league and everything. But ultimately what happens is a lot of the rookies kind of flame out and there's a small group that like really kind of impressed starting out. And a lot of the rookies become, you know, good role players or they develop into better players, but you don't often see the rookie, an entire rookie class kind of enter the league with as much force as this one is. And you have Paulo Banquero, you have Benny Matherin, you have Jabari Smith for the Rockets, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of good, there are a lot of good young players in the NBA right now. I think what you're kind of seeing is, and this is maybe a conversation for a, an entirely different podcast episode, but you're really starting to see if you hadn't seen it already, the transition from like the old heads of, of LeBron and, and those types of guys, Steph Curry to the younger guys leading with, you know, Luca, Trey, Jason Tatum, um, you know, those types of players, John Morant, and even some of the younger players that are now coming into the league with Paolo Banquero and, and Benny Matherin and such. Yeah, for sure. So the NBA released its first MVP ladder for the season. Number one, John Morant. Number two, Giannis. Number three, Luca. Number four, Pascal Siakam. And number five, DeMar DeRozan. What do you think? I think Siakam's a good player, but being on the top five list, I don't appreciate that when so many other guys are playing so good. Right now, Dame is averaging 31. He put up 40 already. Tatum's averaging 33, and he put up 40. Booker's averaging 33. Was KD on the list? No. Disrespect. KD's averaging 33. I'm so surprised they put Siakam on there. Yeah, I'm surprised about that as well. I think they're probably giving some weight to his triple-double. I mean, like I mentioned, he's one of three players with a triple-double this season. And, mm -hmm. you know, I guess that's impressive this early. But I'm I'm kind of surprised that he's in the in the discussion. He's number four. Like he's the number four ranked player, at least right now, in terms of this MVP discussion. So I was a little bit surprised to see him there as well. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad list overall, but hopefully they come to their senses a little bit as the season goes on or actually make a solid list and not mess around with it. Yeah, I mentioned it last week but I think this is probably the most competitively balanced NBA we're going to have seen in a long time. So I honestly wouldn't be surprised if, you know, let's say like three or four weeks down the road, they release their fourth or fifth MVP ladder. And it's honestly a completely different top five, because I think you just mentioned five players alone who could probably take over these spots. And we're not even talking about someone like, you know, LeBron isn't playing super well, but he always seems to somehow pull something like that off. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about, you know, other, other big players like that. And so I could see this totally changing. And like you just mentioned, like Donovan Mitchell playing really well for the Cavs. Like I just mentioned him. Cavs are going to win this game. I think they're up eight with 30 seconds, but it's crazy how many different players could fall into this top five in terms of like MVP, we'll call it like MVP ranking or whatever. Mm -hmm. But because we have so many disputes with the way that some of these lists are presented, I think that we need to do an official QCCR MVP ladder throughout the season. Okay. Starting now or <laughs> starting later? We'll just start it next week. <laughs> okay. Okay. We can't do top five because that's what everybody does. We have to do, maybe we just do top three, keep it short. The top three. Another player that's missing from the list as well is Nikola Jokic. I know he's not on, 
you know, the list of like top scorers and everything this season, but mm-hmm. um, he does have two triple doubles in five games already. So wow, if he, if he's doing triple doubles in 40% of his games, you know, that's pretty crazy. That's all I'm saying. Also want to mention in terms of scores, points per game leaders this season. I know you mentioned some of them, but this I just took from the NBA's website earlier today. Luca 36.3 points per game. Giannis, 36 per game. Kevin Durant, 33.2. Jaw, 32.6. Devin Booker, 32.5. There is a lot of scoring going on this season, and I think that's I think that speaks to the way that the players are playing the game this year. Typically, I think what you see at the beginning of the NBA season is a lot of players coming out and just kind of like, let's like slow, kind of slow roll, or it's like a soft launch of the NBA season, kind of, if you want to put it that way. Maybe players don't necessarily take the beginning of the season as seriously as they should, and players kind of fall into their old predictable patterns, and it's not a serious like race or serious competition until maybe like a quarter of the way through the season. But I think what you're seeing this year is a lot of teams and players coming out wanting to demonstrate why they deserve to be the top seed or why they deserve to be in the conversation for, you know, whatever one of the better teams in the NBA or even players coming out and and demonstrating why they deserve to be in the MVP discussion after maybe being nixed in prior years. Right. So I think it's going to be a really exciting season and there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens that people aren't expecting. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think it's so funny how the Blazers are four and one, the Jazz are four and one, and then they're one and three in the Western Conference, and then the Sixers are one and four, and the Nets are one and four, and they're eleventh and fourteenth right now. Right, and I will That's say the Sixers, the, the Sixers did just win tonight, so they should go up to two and four. Mm. Um, but still, but still, I don't know if you saw this quote, but I on first take. Kendrick Perkins was asked what he thought about the Brooklyn Nets. And he said, quote, the Brooklyn Nets should be named the Brooklyn Hostess Cupcakes because they're creamy and soft in the middle, unquote. <laughs> um, that man, how do I put this nicely? That man has a way with words. Carry the hell on. Legend. That's something. Yeah, there are some weird, weird, weird teams this year. Milwaukee Bucks are the only unbeaten team and going back to what we talked about earlier in terms of, you know, them and the Hawks tomorrow playing. And we talked about whether the Bucks were going to run away with it. They're up 17 now with four minutes left in the fourth quarter on the Knicks up 15 now. Um, so I guess they did kind of run away with it. 15 isn't crazy big for a lead, but mm-hmm. they are the only undefeated team left in the NBA. They're going to go to four and zero after this win against the Knicks. They are going to go to four and one tomorrow when they lose to the Hawks, <laughs> but they are the only unbeaten team, which I think is actually very, very crazy that at four and O four games into the season, they're the only undefeated team left. Yeah, that is that, wild. That speaks to the competitive nature of the league this year. There are a lot of teams that are only, that only have one loss this year, but in the Eastern conference, you're only looking at the top five as having one loss or less. Everybody else has two losses, three losses, four losses, five losses. Um, nobody in the Western Conference is unbeaten right now. A couple teams don't have any wins, Lakers, Kings. Do we think it's the- more impressive for a team to be 4-0 or 0-4, though? It's equal. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not really too sure about that. That's surprising. 
I, I would say it's a more, I think it depends on the team. I think it's not surprising me that the Bucks are starting four and oh, it's not surprising me that the Kings are starting zero and four. It is surprising me that the Lakers are starting zero and four. If you would have asked me before the season started, I would have said no way in hell the Lakers start zero and four. I don't think they have like a, a super good team on paper or anything like that, but I wouldn't have guessed that they would be starting zero and four with the with the schedule that they've had. They've just played atrociously. They had no shooting last year, so going into the off season, you'd think they would try to get Buddy Hield or something, bring in some shooting, and they didn't do anything. They brought in Lonnie Walker, and he's not he's not the guy. That is pretty crazy. You have to wonder how much patience LeBron is going to have with this. And I say that knowing that LeBron can really control, you know, what's going on with his team and everything. So yeah, for sure. That's going to be an interesting one to see how that plays out this season, because I got to imagine, I got to imagine as a Lakers, as, as a member of the Lakers team, LeBron is not happy and is not going to be happy if the Lakers look like they are um, going to miss the playoffs again. So mm-hmm. I would expect them to try to make some sort of move that involves Russell Westbrook. I know that he is coming off the bench now as of last night, I think. And I don't know if that's because they're getting him ready for a trade or something like that. Um, but we'll see on that. The Lakers are going to move to 0-5 and their next games are against the Nuggets, Pelicans, Jazz, Cavs, and then Jazz again. So they could be 0-10. They really could be 0-10, and, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised. That would be some good content right there. There was a stat that I saw earlier, and this is, I mean, ever since we started watching sports, I think you and I joke about how, about some of these crazy stats that analytics will come up with about, like, the first player to ever do this, and it's something super stupid, and, like, why would you even point that out? The first so, player to ever have two points, two assists, and a bag of Doritos. exactly exactly stuff like that and it's like why is it why is it even worth reporting but i saw a stat earlier that was like the only nba teams to start zero and four and make the playoffs seems a little weird so maybe i'm misremembering it but the only Mm -hmm. nba teams to start zero and four and make the playoffs still were the um oklahoma city thunder and the washington wizards both teams which had russell westbrook on it Mm. so I think the Lakers fan base is probably holding on to that saying, well, now if we keep Westbrook, do we basically guarantee our spot in the playoffs this season? Yeah. I don't think the math is math in there. (laughs) The math is definitely not mathing there. What are, what are your biggest surprises going through the standings? Would you say? I mean, other than the teams we mentioned already, well, the Bucks, Celtics and Hawks were all going to be good. The Cavs were going to be good. And then the Wizards weren't supposed to be that good, but Bradley Beal has been winning them games, and they're three and one right now. Three and um, two. Three and two. I know we already mentioned them, but the biggest ones have to be the 76ers and the Nets. I would say the Nets are probably the biggest surprise to me. I mean, I actually no, they're not the biggest surprise. I think after getting swept out of the playoffs, you have to you have to assume that they are a hit or miss team. But the biggest surprise for me, I would actually say, is the Miami Heat being two and four to start out the season after going to the Eastern Conference Finals last year and not really changing their roster all that much. I would have guessed that they would have started the season at least with a 500 record. So a little surprised to see them at two and four, but 
again, it's early. We'll see what happens. Things will shake out as they're supposed to. And, you know, it'll get rearranged a little bit. But if the Wizards can stay somewhat hot and end up, I mean, they're the sixth seed right now. And again, that's only five or six games in for these teams, three or four or five or six games in. But that's pretty crazy mm-hmm. that they're they're the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah, they have a good roster. They just still just surprising to see them there. As far as the Western Conference goes, I think the biggest surprise to me, I mean, that would have to be the Utah Jazz starting four and one. I don't think anybody, <laughs> I don't think anybody can say anything differently. Yeah, I think they're probably they've just been surprising people like crazy. The Trailblazers have Dame, but the rest of the roster is subpar. Mm-hmm. The Spurs are three and two. I was gonna say maybe the Spurs starting three and two is a is a pretty big surprise too, since they're supposed to be one of the ones tanking for Wimbenyama. But yeah, for sure, they're also taking the Bulls right now to you know to the wire. The Bulls are only up seven with seven minutes left, so pretty crazy stat there. After five games, Ben Simmons total scoring stats <laughs> look like a stat line from a single game: twenty-eight points. 12 of 27 field goals, zero of one from three, four of 10 from free throw line. That guy sucks. Let's unfortunately, talk about unfortunately, his fouls don't look like they're from one game because he has like 20 of them through five games. <laughs> Good point. I will never, I will never miss a chance to take a shot at Ben Simmons. <laughs> Can't blame you. So I think last time we recorded the Hornets were one and oh, and they hadn't played the Pelicans yet, but we did cover the Pelicans game. So then the third game they played was against the Hawks. Nick Richards had a perfect night. Well, they won 126 to 109. Nick Richards had 20 points, 11 rebounds, shot nine for nine. Elite. Yeah, Nick Richards has had a really... He has his moments, I guess I would say. I Not every single game has been absolutely perfect from his perspective, but... I think what he's, I think what Nick Richards is doing for the Hornets is coming out and proving why he deserves to play over Plumlee. And at this point, I don't know how much longer Clifford is going to continue to start Plumlee over Nick Richards. I think, I think Clifford has mentioned in post game interviews and in, in other media appearances this season that he likes what Plumlee brings to the floor. Just to start out the game, I think what you're seeing is that um, Nick Richards is still getting com- comparable minutes to, to Plumlee. So it's not like, Nick Richards is only getting garbage minutes or anything like that. For some reason, Clifford likes what Plumlee brings to the floor, I think in terms of like a veteran presence to start out a game. But at mm-hmm. some point, you got to put the better player out there. Yeah, I don't think you can leave Plum Dog out there very much longer. I think as a podcast, we should probably go on record and call for Clifford to pull Plumlee and just start Nick Richards. <laughs> I'm fully down. This is our official call to uh Clifford to start Nick Richards over Plum Dog Millionaire. Yeah, Plumley played 20 minutes and 32 seconds tonight, and Nick Richards played 20 minutes and 22 seconds. They're pretty close. Hopefully, next game he can jump him. <laughs> um, their next game was against the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. They ended up losing by three in overtime, which I think was a little bit disappointing for a number of different reasons. As a Hornets fan, we can talk about poor officiating and maybe pj's three at the end or pj's two his alleged two-pointer should have been ruled a three-pointer but there are so many things that happened during the game that it really shouldn't have even come down to that point but as a riled up hornets fan we're going to focus on that because pj comes down he hits what should have i think 
if you go and look at the pictures, we've tweeted them out from the Queen City Control Room podcast account. He hits what should have been ruled a three-pointer, and they tie the game at 132. The Knicks were up 132 to 129, and then P.J. That's what it was. Yeah. P.J. hit a two. We go to 131. It should have tied the game at 132, and that that would completely change the trajectory of the game, right? Mm -hmm. You're 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 playing with a tie in place and maybe heading to the next overtime instead of playing from down a point and playing defensively a little bit differently than you might otherwise play. The Knicks come back and hit um, another two-pointer. So they go up 134 to 131, and the Hornets can't close it out or tie it up, which is disappointing. The Knicks are coming into this game at home at full strength. They're not missing anybody from the roster right now. The Hornets are coming into this game missing LaMelo, Cody Martin again. And now they're actually also missing Terry Rozier, who went down with an injury earlier, I think in the last game. The Hornets are coming in at definitely less than full strength, and they have to rely on a number of different players in this game. And they still almost pull off the win against the Knicks. So I think this is another one of the moral victories. And I hate to say that because we've been relying on moral victories for way too long um, because it doesn't get you into the playoffs. It doesn't get you into the Eastern Conference Finals or into the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. But impressive to me in this game against the Knicks that Gordon Hayward played 39 minutes. I think coming into the season, the message on Gordon Hayward was this is going to be a lot of load management because he's been so injury prone the last couple of years. And he went out there, he put up, he played 39 minutes. He put up 21 points, nine rebounds, four assists. Another big storyline for the Hornets, Dennis Smith Jr. put up 14 points, played 36 minutes, and had 11 assists. He's doing really, really well for the Hornets, I think. has been a really good bright spot, and I'm totally here for the Dennis Smith Jr. redemption tour. Yeah, same. We support him. So, tough loss for the Hornets against the Knicks. We were going to roll into this game against the, un- the winless Magic. And get back on our feet, but that did not exactly happen. It was a trap game, to say the least. Big, <laughs> big trap energy. The Hornets were supposed to play today. Didn't show up. I wish they didn't show up, actually. They were down Probably by didn't. 30, like three minutes into the third quarter. Mm-hmm. It's tough. They looked just horrible. Can't really say much about it. Yeah, that's a that's a really tough loss to give the Magic their first win of the season. And tonight they just looked like they were the Hornets of old, not knowing Mm -hmm. how to score, not knowing how to create any offense, not playing any real defense whatsoever. It was just a really disappointing game to see. And you don't always just want to look at the box score because it doesn't always explain the way a game was played. Right. But like, look at this, right. Mason Plumlee, 20 minutes, two points, four rebounds. Gordon Hayward is the leading scorer put up 18 points, but that's not going to do it. Like we talked about the list of high scoring players and obviously we're missing LaMelo ball, but still putting up only 18 points. Kelly Oubre, 12 points goes two of 10 from three. Maybe the most frustrating one for me, PJ Washington starting at power forward. I think midway through the third quarter, maybe still had zero point zero rebound, zero assists. (laughs) He played, he played 22 minutes only. So only, you know, less than half of the game. But he only finished with five points, one rebound, no assists. Like, what are you doing out there? He's I understand to grab the Tony Snell stat line there. But for somebody like PJ Washington, who this is his contract year, he talked a lot this offseason about how much better he had gotten, how much healthier he had gotten, and how much he was really looking forward to making a difference. And I think you really felt it in the in the way that he talked about this upcoming season. He did not show up against this team at all today. And it's pretty disappointing. 
I think for me, the only bright spot in this Hornets game versus the Magic, if you can even call it a bright spot, is that the Hornets put up 40 points in the fourth quarter. They beat the Magic in the fourth quarter, 40 to 31, and close to the overall gap to 20 points. They end up losing by 21, 13 to 93. And a lot of that is obviously just thanks to the garbage time minutes that the, you know, the reserves played. But I was, I mean, I was watching the last six minutes of the game and and players like JT Thor played 14 minutes. Mark Williams played only seven minutes and got seven points and four boards. Bryce McGowan's looked pretty good when he was out there. Kai Jones even put up four points in five minutes. Like, again, garbage time minutes against a garbage team who's also playing their reserves. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only, I think that's the literally the only bright spot we can take away from this game for the Hornets, yeah. anyways. Agreed. I just stumbled upon a stat. So far this year, before today's games, Nick Richards was third in the NBA and plus minus so far this year. (laughs) Okay. No other Hornets made the top 50. That is not surprising. (laughs) He's plus 65. Wow. Nick Richards is elite. Before today's game as well, or before today's slate of games, let me say it that way. Jalen McDaniels led the NBA in three-point percentage. He was shooting 75%, I think nine of 12 from three. And he's, you know, Jalen McDaniels, Jalen McFlammable, as we um, had on the Twitter. He's not going to stay there, I don't think, throughout the season. But three-point percentage, he missed two shots tonight. So he's not in the top five anymore, two threes. But he was second in the NBA in three-point percentage, which is decent for a Hornets player at any point in the season. Yeah, that's true. Can't argue with that. I got one more stat for you on the Nick Richards on the Nick Richards elite train. This is a Nick Richards stand podcast right now. <laughs> He's third in the NBA in um, field goal percentage. How about that? Wow. Shooting 71.4% from the field behind only Mitchell Robinson who's shooting 88% and Anyeka Okongwu from the Hawks who's shooting 74%. I would say that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's where you want your center to be pretty much 60 to 70%. That's huge numbers. Starting yeah, center potential. Definitely starting center potential. Honestly, at this point, I think we just go with Nick Richards starting, Mark Williams back up, and then let's just let's just have Plumley be that veteran presence. Or honestly, let's just ship him out at the trade deadline. Plumley traded for cash. Hey, you know what? Honestly, it wouldn't be that bad of a deal for me, anyways. And I, we're kind of getting off the rails, maybe. But look, no. you can see our guards throwing lobs to Nick Richards. You can see our guards throwing lobs to Mark Williams. You do not see our guards really throwing lobs to Plum Dog. As far as this Hornets team goes, this super young Hornets team, you want like someone who's going to bring some electricity to the floor. And I think that that was one of the big things that showed for the Hornets tonight against the Magic is that there wasn't anyone that was like really creating any offense. And obviously they're missing their best player, right? But you get someone out there in terms of a big man who can kind of run the floor and go up and catch a lob and throw it down and like energize the team a little bit. And I don't see Plumlee doing that. So that's just my two cents on that piece. (laughs) Yeah. I don't ever see him doing that. (laughs) I will say all else told it's been a decent week for the Hornets because no one got arrested this week. It's impressive. (laughs) So that's something you have to add. We'll take that for sure. Um, I don't know if there's been really any updates on book night situation. Obviously he's still playing. He played 26 minutes tonight. So yeah, I haven't heard much on it. And I think for him too, I think just to mention it is he's kind of turned the corner a little bit. I think he regressed a little bit tonight, but then again, the whole team kind of regressed, but he started out playing 
awful this season. And mm-hmm. now he's kind of starting to show why, you know, the Hornets use their lottery pick on him. It's really getting out there and kind of stretching the floor a little bit. So that's good. Yeah. And I will just say, I think what you mentioned before, this was kind of a trap game. This was a look ahead game because the Hornets have the Golden State Warriors tomorrow night. Um, they are playing in Charlotte. So they have a home game. The Hornets are only, or the Warriors are only favored by eight and a half points, which is kind of surprising, honestly. But you know what? I'm going to call it right now. This isn't my underdog pick for the week, but the Hornets were, the Hornets played bad this game because they were looking ahead to next, the next game against the Warriors. They're going to come out fresh. They're going to come out ready. I think probably Cody and Terry are probably still going to be doubtful or questionable for the game, but if they can come back, they're going to. And if they do, they're going to provide a boost of energy and the Hornets are going to take down the Warriors at home. (laughs) The Hornets are nine point underdogs tomorrow and 92% of the money bet on the spread per fan duel has been on the Warriors. I'm surprised it's not closer to hundred (laughs) percent. That, that 8% has got to just be Hornets fans at this point. I don't know if I've ever seen a number as high as 92%. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would say. You know what? Let me, let me throw another stat out there for you. Not a Hornet stat, but I want to throw this out there for you. Um, let me pull up and then I will read it to you and then we can all laugh and move on to our next topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's lost to the Milwaukee Bucks. That was two days ago. That was Wednesday night, October 26th. The um, Ben Simmons put up four points. Okay. Okay. I remember seeing this on Twitter. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I do remember seeing this Ben Simmons line in that game His over under for point total was eight and a half. He put up four and someone tweeted after the game, 95% of the money that was bet on Ben Simmons individual prop point total was for him <laughs> on the under 95% of people cash that bet because Ben Simmons absolutely sucks. Thank you, Ben. Did you see the UNC scrimmage today? Scrimmage, preseason, whatever you want to call it. I was on a flight back from South Carolina, so I was only catching up with some tweets. I saw they were up. Obviously, they were playing against, like, Johnson C. Smith School, so not expecting it to be fun. They're playing against Johnson & Johnson. (laughs) Um, so obviously you're not expecting like a, an exhibition or a scrimmage like that to go anywhere close. Right. Especially with the anticipation of the North Carolina team, but I wasn't able to, to keep up with the minute by minute of the game. Yeah, I didn't either. I just saw the scores that they were posting and they kept posting the other team's logo. So small, I couldn't even zoom in and see what it was. So I was going to ask you what team they were playing. (laughs) Johnson and Johnson. Let's see. Johnson C. Smith University, located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Golden Bulls. Division two. What was the final score in the scrimmage? 101 to 40 was the final score. Okay. I think that's about what you expect for a scrimmage like that, though, honestly. I mean, the reason that they schedule them is so that the team can just kind of gel against the team that they're supposed to, you know, Mm -hmm. they're supposed to crush with all intents and purposes. So... I don't think that's really all that surprising. North Carolina was also missing RJ Davis though. So true. We're still, so I mentioned last week that the first NCAA games that are going to be played officially anyways, no scrimmages or exhibitions are 
Monday, November 7th. So we're still about a week and a half out. Obviously this podcast will drop on Halloween. So it'll be a week from the start of the college basketball season when this episode airs. But as far as our recording goes, we're still about a week and a half out. So we still don't have any games to cover, but we do have a couple other points. Last week, we went through the AP top 25 and gave some thoughts there. One thing I do want to cover today is the odds for the Wooden Award. I mentioned last week that the Wooden Award is one of the two awards that is given to the National Player of the Year in college basketball, named after John Wooden, who was a legendary coach at UCLA, obviously. The Wooden Award finalists for you know the preseason award anyways, I guess. Oscar Sheeway from Kentucky, Drew Timmy from uh, Gonzaga, Armando Baycott, North Carolina, Marcus Sasser, Houston, and Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana. What do you think about that? It's pretty much what you would expect at this point. I mean, Timmy and Baycott and Love and Shibwe and Hamiakas all coming back. And Marcus Sasser. It's surprising that the top six or seven are all returning guys and not like a pile or a chat type guy in there. Yeah. Um, I think for me, one player that's overrated at least is Drew Timmy. It feels like this is his 800th year playing college basketball. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying he's not going to be good. He definitely is. And he's probably going to be a high draft pick in the NBA draft next year. He'll go in the first round, I'm sure. But for me, it is, I feel like there are a lot of very high expectations for Drew Timmy based just on the fact that he is a um, he's on Gonzaga and obviously Chet Holmgren left his mark and left his mark last season and, and is obviously not playing in the NBA right now. But I think Drew Timmy is overhyped. I think he lived in Chet Holmgren's shadow and a lot of people are expecting him to kind of come out and run the table here this year. And I don't know that he's really going to be able to do that he probably is the best player on Gonzaga this year and he's going to lead the team but I don't see him having as much of an impact as Chet Holmgren did last year um, and he Chet Holmgren obviously didn't win the award versus Shibway so for me Drew Timmy is a little bit overrated um, that could be a hot take in the college basketball community but <laughs> it is what it is I'm willing to make that stance right now I'd say um, it's probably a hot take to a lot of people but it's respectable who, who do you think is um, not a lock because all of these players are going to be competing for, you know, the player of the year award. But if you had to make a selection, who are you picking? I was just scrolling through the list here and a couple things to note. They still have Amani Bates on here at plus 2,800. <laughs> that would be absurd if he won it at the school <laughs> he's at now. That would be shocking. Do you see his game today? No, I didn't. He had like 34 points and like 13 assists or something. And he was pulling up from the logo and draining threes and he posterized a couple people. He looked like himself, but it wasn't against any real competition, obviously. Right. That's uh, pretty surprising. But you know what? Eastern Michigan fans are going to love that. So, <laughs> yep. All East- the Eastern Michigan fans. <laughs> all the Eastern Michigan fans in the college basketball community. We talked a little bit last week about Oscar Shibwe's knee issues. He's, you know, how the fact that he had surgery recently. I think we still don't know the extent to which he's going to need to recover from his surgery because they're kind of keeping it a little bit mum, keeping quiet on how things are progressing for him. So we don't know how much time he's going to miss. And I think that is going to play a lot into his 
not eligibility for the award, but you know, mm-hmm. if he misses, if he misses a third of the season, I don't know how you give someone player of the year who misses that much time. So I think that's one of those things we're going to have to kind of wait and see, especially as Kentucky is like rolling through its early non-conference schedule. Yeah. I don't think you can go wrong picking any of the top six guys on the list. If you pick, well, you can't be, you can be a little bit wrong if you pick Timmy probably, but if you pick Baycott or Caleb Lubb or Sheepway again, or Hamihakas, I think they all have a great chance at it. They all have good teams around them and they all could be there at the end. Yeah, I think it's going to be for sure a competitive year in college basketball. I think you're going to see a lot of the same schools, you know, getting to the end of it this year, but there's going to be a lot of competition as in terms of, you know, who's going high in, in next year's NBA draft. Obviously, we're already talking about Wimbenyama and Scoot Henderson. You have the two brothers from the G League Ignite. But in terms of players coming from the college basketball pool, I think there's a lot of competition on who really is going to be high up on the list. And I'm assuming all these players will be at that point at the end of the year. But mm-hmm. it's going to be a fun year for college basketball, I think. I'm surprised that that Trace Jackson Davis is so far down the list at plus 2,500. He played great last year and he was leading his team the whole year and scored a lot and had a lot of big nights and he came back. I'm surprised he's so far down. Right. Yeah, that is surprising. Maybe people are, or people kind of want to wait and see if he comes out with the same kind of fire and like establishes himself the way he did last year. I think a lot of people from what I've seen in terms of like conference previews and everything are projecting Indiana to maybe win the big 10 this year. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of all plays out. And a lot of it, a lot of the work there is going to fall onto, you know, trace Jackson Davis's shoulders. So if he handles that, I could see him moving up and, um, you know, making a good run at player of the year for sure. I think if I had to pick one player on the list, I'd probably go with Armando Baycott. Just because he has such a good team around him, I think he's going to get a lot of shots in the offense and the team's kind of built for him to be successful. I think he is probably the odds-on favorite a couple weeks into the season. Yeah, I would pick Baycott too, I think. Um, Obviously a North Carolina fan, I would love to see him or Caleb Love win it. I think they're two and three in the and the odds right now, Baycott at plus 800, Caleb Love at plus 1,000. So that would be very cool. I think another one that is up there but not you know right at the top is, is Marcus Sasser from Houston. He's plus 1,200 to win player of the year. Houston is one of those schools in college basketball that is always good because of the conference that they're in. They're always rolling through their conference opponents. You know They, they match up with Memphis twice a year. Um, and a few others, but for the most part, Houston is rolling their, their non-conference and their conference opponents, which is why they always are, you know, a higher seed in the NCAA tournament. And they always seem to be a bust as well. They're a good team this year. We talked about that last week. That's why they're so high in the top 25 and the final four is in Houston. So I mentioned it would be kind of poetic to see Houston make a run to the final four and play in front of a lot of local fans of the team, even though it'd be crazy expensive to go there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but in Marcus Sasser, you have a classic situation of like a really good player playing on a team that gets bounced maybe early from the tournament. And I know the wooden award isn't necessarily based on, 
you know, a team's performance in the NCAA tournament and how maybe those individual players have performed under pressure at the end of the season there. But I think Marcus Sasser is going to be ripe for maybe the underdog player of the year. And I don't even want to call him an underdog because he really isn't being that high on the list, but Mm -hmm. I would keep an eye on him this year and see him making a push for player of the year. Yeah, I think he has a good chance to win it for sure. I don't appreciate how high Hunter Dickinson is on this list at plus 2,000. I think they should maybe add a zero, make him plus 20,000. <laughs> yeah, we're not, uh, we're not a Michigan. We're not a University of Michigan college basketball podcast. Nope, not at all. If he wins the award, I think we might have to cancel the show. It's a Mickey Mouse award anyways, if that happens. Yeah, that's a fact. Not necessarily surprising, but I think that the odds of players winning the Wooden Award are reflected in the fact that the AP preseason All-American list was released earlier this week, and the five players selected for the All-America team preseason were Drew Timmy from Gonzaga, Oscar Shibway from Kentucky, Trace Jackson Davis, Marcus Sasser, and Armando Baycott, so... Not really any surprises there, I don't think. I think those are five of the best players in college basketball right now. Yeah, we expect a big season from those guys. I'm really, I'm just really excited to get the college basketball season underway. For me, I love the NBA. I love seeing the professional teams get out there. But the college game is a lot of times played at a higher pace, for better or for worse, right? I think the college basketball game is a little bit more pure as are some of the the college fan bases. And that's the same reason that a lot of sports fans in general, like watching college football more than college or uh, more college football, more than the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. Different. It's it's a totally different game. It's the same sport, but it's a different game. And I'm just really excited to get college basketball underway. Would you rather watch college football or NFL in general? It's tough because we have the bills Obviously, we mentioned in our first episode, we're both from Buffalo and the Bills are rolling this year. So as the Super Bowl favorites and as the MVP favorite is on our team, Josh Allen, it's tough to not say the NFL because we get up every week for, you know, the Bills, right? The Bills are playing the Packers in primetime on Sunday night this weekend. Hopefully they'll roll them. We'll figure that out by the time this podcast airs. But honestly, it might be college football for me. I feel like there's so much more fluidity in the college game. I don't know if that's really the right word, but there's a lot more back and forth. There's a lot more like just general craziness going on in college football. Not that there isn't upsets in the NFL. Obviously there is, and things don't always shake out the way they're supposed to. I think that's pretty evidenced by the fact that this weekend, I think the, what is it? The Falcons and the Panthers are playing for first place in the NFC South Mm -hmm. and they're both like two and what, two and five or three and four. So there's still some crazy stuff happening in the NFL, but I think you get a lot more shootouts in college football. And I think the game is just a little bit more fun to watch versus the NFL. So I like them both. I like, like, like sports in general, but I think the college college games are a little bit more electric. Yeah. If I had to rank them, I would probably put the bills football and Ohio state football tied for first. And then college football second, and then remainder of the NFL third. So kind of what you were saying, I think, but. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think it changes throughout the season, depending on how the seasons are going and, and 
and on how your teams are doing, but especially mm-hmm. over the last couple of years and not just watching only games that your teams are playing in. Like last season, I got NBA league pass for the first time and am able to kind of, kind of immerse myself a little bit way more into watching individual players on, on different teams, right. In the NBA and kind of doing the same thing with the NFL, just with the general ability to watch so many different games every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in college basketball, especially there's a game on almost every single night and it's a lot more wide open in college basketball in terms of electric players. I mean, we talked about who's at the top of the list for the wooden award. We talked about who was selected for the preseason all America list, but like you also always have a random couple of players who are leading the NCAA in scoring. Like you had Peter Kiss last year from uh, Bryant, I think, right? Yeah. Um, never going to have an NBA career by any means, but you have random players like that who can be exciting to watch because A, they score a lot. B, they're cocky as shit. Like <laughs> it, it, it can just be exciting to watch. I didn't like Peter Kiss. I was happy when he got, I think they, they got bounced in the first four last year, right? Yeah. Um, you can almost always turn a college basketball game on and there's something exciting happening. Yeah. Facts. Anything that you're looking forward to in terms of in-season tournaments, any games you're looking forward to with your teams or anything like that in college basketball? I think right now the biggest games I am looking forward to, I haven't looked at the schedule a ton at this point, but the first one has to be the Maui Invitational. Huge tournament. I don't think the Buckeyes have been there in a couple of years, unless I'm mistaken. Mm-hmm. But they start off against San Diego State, and San Diego State is a scary, scary team to play. Yeah, they're and they're 19th to start off the year. Ohio State's unranked. Um, mm-hmm. It should be it should be an interesting matchup. I mean, honestly, San Diego State might be an, an underdog to win the Maui Invitational this year. So, yeah, I think putting um, them at 19 was just is rude i think they have a better team than that and i saw okay somebody's power rankings today had them at like six or seventh are you calling a, a san diego state a victory over ohio state no no i'm gonna say they <laughs> they can win as many games as they want after the maui invitational but okay so there's an early go ahead they're getting taken out early yeah there's an early season upset and that win probably vaults ohio state up into the top 25 is that, is that is that your shot there? Yep, let's let's hope. <laughs> For reference, the other teams that are in the Maui Invitational this year, you have Texas Tech and Creighton, Louisville and Arkansas, Ohio State and San Diego State we already talked about, and Cincinnati and Arkansas. So a lot of top 25 teams there. Creighton, obviously, we talked about their highest ranking at nine this year, their highest ranking in school history. So there should be some really good games this year in the Maui Invitational. Yeah, there's a lot of good teams there for sure. Going to be an exciting tournament to watch. Another game I just want to shout out, maybe not as exciting for you. I think it depends on how the um, Buckeyes do to start out the season. On December 17th, it's a Saturday. North Carolina is playing Ohio State at Madison Square Garden. It's in the CBS Sports Classic, so that's why they're playing in MSG. But I think it depends on how... Ohio State does with the earlier games in their season. I think we're going to be about five to six weeks into the season at that point. So it's going to be really interesting. Should be a good game, both playing at a neutral site. So no real home court advantage there. I would expect North Carolina to still be either number one or 
you know, at least in the top five. At that point, they've only played UNCW, College of Charleston, Gardner-Webb, James Madison, Portland, Iowa State or Villanova, which could be a decent matchup, Indiana, which could be a decent matchup, and then Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and the Citadel. Mm -hmm. So my guess is they're probably still undefeated, maybe a loss by that point. Could be a big game for your Buckeyes. I think it might not be a big game for the Tar Heels if they lose. I mean, we beat Duke in November last year. We love knocking off number one teams, so we're we're rolling right back into it. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That could be a big game for both schools, honestly. All right, I think that does it for college basketball since there's really no games for us to cover at this point. Let's talk about some college football action this week before we wrap it up. This is week nine of the college football season, and we do have some big games to cover this week. The big one for both of us, obviously, number two, Ohio State playing in Beaver Stadium against my Penn State Nittany Lions. Buckeyes are favored by 15 points. The over under is 60 and a half. Oh, what are your thoughts on this game? <laughs> People have been talking all week about how Penn State has been showing up for these games in the past, but we're not having it on this side of the podcast. We're coming in. <laughs> We've been prepping for this game for weeks. Ohio State saw Michigan beat them, and now they feel like they need to prove something, but Michigan also played them at home, so that's different. But I'm surprised, but not surprised that the line was 15. I thought it would be like 10 or something, but I don't know. It's still a 13 and two matchup and it's in Penn state. It should count for something. Yeah. 15 points for a two versus 13 matchup is pretty, is pretty big. I was kind of surprised that it was a 15 point spread as well, especially being at home. And you know, I mean, you know how these games go, right? Like, like substance aside leading up to it, anything can happen in this college football game. Ohio State is playing at a completely different elite level than most other teams in college football across the country, including Penn State. But mm-hmm. these games always happen where a team comes in, I don't know, maybe overconfident, or I'm not saying Ohio State is overconfident. I'm just saying maybe they come in a little cocky or you know, Penn State loves the underdog story and, and they pull out a win. I do want to rattle something off for you here. Um, two points, actually. Back in 2016, Penn State got absolutely thrashed by Michigan in Ann Arbor. They rebounded by beating Minnesota at home and then went on to beat number two Ohio State in Beaver Stadium. That was 2016. 2022, six short years later, Penn State got thrashed by Michigan in, in Ann Arbor. They rebounded by beating Minnesota at home. And now we're facing number two Ohio State in Beaver. <laughs> Six short years later, Saquon Barkley is no longer a part of the team. <laughs> we are not worried. Okay, okay. I think I'm I'm hoping for a Penn State win. You're hoping for an Ohio State win. We'll see what happens there. I'm a little worried just with how Ohio State is playing at a different level this year. But like I mentioned, anything can happen. I don't see the spread in the, the final spread in this game going over 15 points. I know that Penn State got absolutely thrashed by Michigan. And mm-hmm. Ohio State is better than Michigan. I'll say that. I don't like Michigan. I think Penn State's also been looking forward to this game, and I think that it'll be closer than 15 points. I'm hoping for a Penn State win, but I think it will be closer than 15 points at least. 
Yeah, I think it'll be a good game at least. I wish it was under the lights though, a noon kickoff. That is not as fun. Yeah. That's kind of boring to play uh, for Penn State too to play Minnesota last week and it's white out, which is absolutely crazy. I think they had 109,000 plus in Beaver Stadium. Um, now to come back and play Ohio State in the noon slot. I mean, it is, it's, it's Fox's primetime game. It's, it's the big noon kickoff or whatever they call it on Fox now. So that's good. At least there should be a lot of viewership on the, of, of the game, you know, across the country, but it would be a lot cooler if it was, you know, under the lights in one of those primetime games at night. Yeah. I think it could be a game that divides the podcast going forward. (laughs) We're going to start going a lot, uh, a lot more head to head on our thoughts, especially with our uh, NBA picks. Like we talked about earlier this episode. (laughs) It's a a dividing game. Do you think Ohio State covers or no, though? (laughs) I want your honest opinion, not your biased opinion. It's the same thing. But I don't know. If it was 14, I would say definitely. Or if it was 13 and a half, I would say definitely. 15 makes it. It's just awkward. It's a middle zone. Yeah. You think it's a two-touchdown score at the end of the game? Yeah, I I think it'll probably be close. Well, I hope it's not that close, but I think it could be close early, but I think at the end they might just score one. Like if they're up by seven or something, they just add one on when it's yeah, like Penn State's trying touchdowns. to get a turnover or something, and they just add one on. I, I don't want to do score predictions for every game because that would just take too much time. But for this one, because it's such high stakes for both of us, I think we should throw out some score predictions and just see how it goes. And I'm gonna go with Penn State, Penn State 35, Ohio State 34. One point, one point dub for the Nittany Lions. Okay, I'm gonna go Ohio State. I'll go with 45-31. I think that is a good score. That would crush the over of 60 and a half. I think both teams can put up numbers. I think Ohio State's gonna score at least 40 points. They average 50 a game, but they also haven't played that many good defenses. So. I think they were going to say Jackson, Smith, and Jigba is good to go. That would be a big help, too. So, right. We got to hope the boys are coming in ready to play and they're going to do numbers Saturday. I think either way, at least both of us are hoping for a, for a shootout score wise. Hopefully, it's not a game where it's like, you know, 17 to 14 or something like that, where teams aren't really putting up points. I think this could be like Ohio State's first real test of the season. Obviously, they they only beat Notre Dame by 11, but that was the first game of the season. You're kind of like shaking off the cobwebs a little bit. But then their mm-hmm. schedule since has been Arkansas State, they won by 33. Toledo, they won by 56. Wisconsin, they won by 31. Rutgers, they won by 39. Michigan State, they won by 29. Like they haven't really faced any stiff competition. Iowa, they won by 44. You know, pretty much all those teams are trash. So, yeah. You know, this could be their first test of the season for Ohio State, or Penn State could roll over like they did against Michigan and get absolutely crushed. Yeah, that's I true. could I could see it going either way, but I'm going to go with Penn State uh, taking away the one point dub. What other uh, what other games you got your eyes on on Saturday? The next game I'm looking at, not in order, Kentucky and Tennessee in Tennessee in Knoxville. Tennessee is favored by twelve. They obviously just beat Alabama. And Kentucky, Will Levis is healthy now, so it should be a fun game. It is under the lights. I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah, I I think it could be a good game. Um, 
I know Will Levis like dislocated his finger back in the Ole Miss game and has not been healthy since then for other reasons. But I think Kentucky is their football team is good. But in terms of like national spotlight against these good teams, I think they're a little bit of a fraud. And I'm on the Tennessee train all the way to the college football playoff this year. I think Tennessee is a team that, I mean, they're not going to be surprising anyone. They're the number three team in the country. But I think coming into the season, people weren't saying like, oh yeah, you know, Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, you know, they're going to go win the, mm-hmm. win the, win the playoff this year. I'm on the Tennessee, I'm on the Tennessee train. I think Hendon Hooker puts up big numbers. And I think that uh, Tennessee covers the spread easily in this game of 12. I would probably go with the side of the letdown spot for some Wildcats to come in. Will Levis have a game, finally get right. And Tennessee, they obviously just had a big win, so I think they got to come back down to earth a little bit. I think they'll probably still win, but maybe by less than 12. That should be that should be a really good game. I think that's going to be really really well watched. Um, just with the number of people that are kind of riding with Tennessee, and we still need to get some follow up here on what is going to go on with the goalposts. Maybe the game doesn't happen if they don't have new goalposts up yet. After Tennessee upset Alabama, for those that don't know, Tennessee students and fans rushed the field, pulled the goalposts out of the ground, and then walked them down the streets of. Uh, Knoxville and threw them in the river. So Tennessee football team was crowdfunding for, for new goalposts, which is hilarious in and of itself, but that's a storyline for another day. I will say though, that your boy CJ Stroud has got to watch out. Uh, Hendon hookers climbing the ranks, I think in the Heisman talk. <laughs> I know people keep putting them up there. I'm not worried. We're not worried at all here. And Columbus CJ is minus 110 right now. Hendon hooker is up to plus 200. I think he started at like plus 2000. He's pushing. It's tough. They're both so good. Um, Maybe a trap game for Georgia. Florida is playing at Georgia at 3.30 on Saturday. Florida's not ranked. They're 4-3. and three. They're only 1-3 and three in the SEC. So like, I mean, the spread is Georgia, 23 and a half. But I think this is another one of those games that you could have your eye on where anything could happen. It's just your classic SEC matchup. And I don't think that a lot of people are expecting probably Florida to pull off a win. Um, I would honestly, if I were going to bet on this game and I might, I would probably put my money on Florida to cover 23 and a half point spread against Georgia. I mean, there were a few games this season where Georgia faltered and they kind of look like they're back to their, their original, you know, beating Oregon 49 to three at the beginning of the season and just kind of steamrolling everybody but this could be a trap game for, for Georgia. They might be looking ahead to other games this season. And I, I would put money on Florida. I could see that happening. Anthony Richardson started so hot in the first game and then fizzled out so fast. But if he has a hot night, I think they could keep it close at least scare him a little bit. 23 and a half points is a lot of points to cover. Yeah, it's a big spread for an SEC football game. But of course, the last time I said that was when Georgia <laughs> was favored by 30 against Auburn a few weeks ago and ended up covering that spread and then some. So I don't want to say that again and rely on that as a, a mm-hmm. you know piece of information in terms of a bet. But that said, I think it is a big spread and um, I think Florida's going to cover. Uh, let's see. Any other games you got your eyes on here on Saturday? Notre Dame playing at Syracuse at noon on Saturday. Notre Dame's obviously four and three, 16. Syracuse is number 16 in the country. They're six and one. 
I think we like to just kind of call out what could potentially be trap games for upset to, or for um, games that could end up in upsets or have legitimate chances anyways. And uh, I think this is one of them. Obviously Syracuse got beat by Clemson last week after they put in their backup quarterback to DJ ukulele, but Syracuse is, I think, still riding the high of being 16 in the country. I don't think Syracuse football is, you know, perennially in the top 25 year after year. So despite the record of four and three at this point, I think Notre Dame is kind of on a roll here and Syracuse football should be an upset watch. Yeah, I think they moved the ball pretty good against um, Clemson, even though I said they wouldn't. But I mean, it happens. I think it'll be a close game. I don't know. Pretty close to call. For sure. All right. I think that does it for the college football games that we have our eyes on for this weekend and for the episode. So thank you for tuning into episode three of the Queen City Control Room podcast. We're always looking for honest feedback on how we can improve the show. So if you could head over to Spotify or Apple podcasts and like, follow and subscribe to let us know your thoughts. You can also email Josh and I here at the show at queencitycontrolroom at gmail.com and let us know your comments and thoughts there as well. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at queencitycontrlrm, which is short for control room. Thanks, and we'll look forward to talking again next week.